Welcome to the IFT podcast, where I make efforts to spread awareness for issues faced today in society. Today I will be speaking on Chandra Warrinchu's experience as a victim of sex trafficking. This story may include graphic language or triggering scenarios to some listeners. Please stop this podcast now if you do not wish to continue. This podcast is sponsored by J&L Self-Defense Products. We are here to help you protect yourself with our self-defense equipment. When in danger, these products can be used for your own protection. J&L. Chapter 1. The Backstory. My story begins when I first arrived in the United States in June 2001. I always believed that America was a place of promise and opportunity, or so that's what people told me. I felt excited to be in a new country. It seemed like it was so familiar with all the movies and TV shows I would see. I lived in Indonesia before moving to America. I had worked for an international bank, but in 1998, we were hit with the Asian financial crisis, and I then lost my job. I didn't have much to do, and I had a three-year-old daughter to support, so I began to look overseas. I saw a newspaper ad for work in the hospitality industry, either in the US, Japan, Hong Kong, or Singapore. Of course, I picked the United States. All I needed to do was speak a little English and pay a fee of about $2,000. After many interviews, they asked me to walk up and down and smile. I thought this was strange, but they just told me, customer service is a key to this job. After passing the tests, I took the job. My mother was back at home taking care of my little girl while I would be away for six months. It didn't seem all that bad because I would be earning 5,000 a month and I could be rewarded to come back home to take care of my little girl again. Chapter two, The Suspicion. After arriving at the JFK airport, I heard my name being called by a man holding a sign with my picture. Definitely not a photo I cared for a lot, though. The agency in Indonesia had dressed me in a revealing tank top. I felt comfortable, though, because the man holding the sign smiled at me warmly. His name was Johnny. I would be getting in the car with him, and he would drive me to the hotel, I told myself. I often had to tell myself things, because I was so naive of what was going on. I was 24 and had no idea of what I was getting myself into. The hotel was in Chicago, and I had arrived at the JFK airport in New York, which was nearly 800 miles away. Once I arrived there with four other women and one man, we divided up into different groups. This is where Johnny took all my documents. He took my passport and led me to this car with two other women. At this point, this is where things started to get strange. A different driver took us a short way before he told us to get out of the car and hop into a different one with a different driver. All three of us did as we were told, and I could see through the window the exchange of money through Johnny and some other man. I again thought that something here is not right, but I told myself not to worry, because I knew what the hotel chain was, and I believed that this exchange of money was just paying for the services. After this point, things started to get even more strange. We had to do the same thing again, but we were stopped at a diner. We hopped into a different car and more money was exchanged again. Then again into a different car, but the fourth driver had a gun. 
He had to force us to get into this car where he then took us to Brooklyn. The man was shouting, new girls, and at this point I was confused and scared. And I knew because of this man had a gun, there was no escape. Chapter 3, The Realization At this point, it was where I saw another car door swing open. I saw a little girl, maybe around 12 or 13 years old, lying on the ground screaming as several different men took their turn to kick her. There was so much blood pouring down from her nose. She was screaming in pain. The men just grinned and started fooling around. They were waving their baseball bat around as if they were using it as a warning for us to behave. Around a few hours after these events and my arrival at the U.S., I was forced to have sex. Of course I was terrified, but I learned many things from witnessing these first acts of violence. It's to always do what I'm told. The next day, Johnny appeared and apologized for the situation that I had to partake in. He claimed that there had been a terrible mistake and that we should get our ID cards and he would be taking us to buy uniforms to start the hotel job in Chicago. He rubbed my back and told me comforting things. He said we'll be okay and I trusted him. A different man came and took our photos and then we were driven to the store to buy our uniforms. But the store was a lingerie store full of skimpy clothing. They were not uniforms. Thinking back to the situation, it is funny to think that I trusted this man at the moment and how easy it was to just slip away from the store. Still, I was scared and I didn't know anyone in America and I didn't want to leave the other two Indonesian girls behind, although it looked like they were enjoying the shopping trip. I looked over to an escort. He was holding a gun while he was watching me. It's almost as if he could see my brain was imagining escape. He had made a gesture that told me not to try anything. Later on that day, we were all split up, and they took me to a place where my traffickers forced me to perform in different sex acts. I can remember one man that terrified me that night because he was in a police uniform with a badge. I still don't know if he was a real policeman, but it made me very terrified and confused at the moment. The man told me that I owed $30,000 and that I would have to pay it off $100 at a time by serving different men in all types of different sex acts. Chapter 4. The Axe They took me to many different brothels, apartment buildings, and hotels and casinos, and I was rarely in the same place for a long period of time, and I was never told where I was going either. Each of these brothels looked like normal houses in a neighborhood, from the outside, although on the inside there were flashing lights, loud music, plenty of drugs like cocaine, crystal meth, and weed laid out on all the tables. The traffickers made me take drugs at gunpoint. They told me it would make me handle the harassment better. All day and all night I had to drink beer and whiskey, and I had no knowledge that you could even drink the tap water in America. Every day all the girls would sit around completely naked waiting for different customers to come in. If not many men came in, we could sleep a little, although we never had a bed. But during the times where there were not many people, the traffickers themselves would rape us. I was unable to cry at this point, 
I was so overwhelmed with so many emotions like sadness and anger. At this point, I was trying so hard to survive. If I did not follow my orders, I would be hurt like the other women who refused to have sex. The traffickers all called me Candy, and most nights they would drive me to the casino and dress me up to look like a princess. Different traffickers would dress up in a black suit and shiny shoes and walk me to the casino like they were my bodyguard. There were so many points in my experience as a sex slave that I could have been free, but when I look back at these situations, I knew that I would have been hurt or even worse. At the casino, they showed me to a different room each night for 45 minutes. In every room, the trafficker was always waiting on the other side of the door. I was never apprehensive about being beaten by my traffickers because I was very compliant. Still, many customers seemed as if they would get violent if I refused to follow their orders. Because for those 45 minutes, I was their property. So I had to do what they said or I believed they would hurt me. Throughout my experience, what I went through was very physically damaging. I was so weak, they only fed me plain rice or soup with a few pickles, and I was often so high on many drugs. I was restricted from having many possessions. I only had a few things like some pens, matches, and a small bible. My mind was always thinking of different escape routes in these situations, but the opportunities were slim to none. One night I found myself locked in an attic in some brothel in Connecticut. I saw a window that I could open, so I tied together the bed sheets in my clothes and attached them to the window frame. I climbed out, but as I got to the end of my rope, I saw that it was a very long, long way from the ground. I then spoke with another girl from another brothel. She had given us a number. If we were ever to be free, he would give us a proper job, and we'd be able to save up some money to go home. I say we because at this point, I was with this girl named Nina. We became very close. I prayed and prayed because I knew there was no way that I was going to be able to serve 30,000 men. I thought that I would die before I ever reached 300. Chapter 5 The Escape I went to the bathroom with Nina and we saw a small window. It was screwed shut and we used a spoon to unscrew the bracket as quickly as possible. Nina and I climbed through the window and jumped out the other side. We called the number, an Indonesian man answered. He promised to help us and we were very excited. He met us at a hotel, but not shortly after, he tried to get us to sleep with a few men. We then refused and the man called Johnny to pick us up. So the girl who gave us the phone number was working with the men all along. This was my last hope before Johnny arrived. I saw my escape and I was able to run away down the street outside the hotel, wearing only my slippers and carrying my pocketbook. I called for Nina, but she was being held tight by the trafficker. So I ran and found a police station. I told them my story and they never believed me. I even went to other police officers and they gave me the same response. I tried to get a new passport and some support but everyone refused me and never believed me. I was so angry and upset and had no idea what to do. Chapter six, my last hope. It was around winter time now and I was so cold. 
I slept on the ferry in NYC and on the subway in Times Square. I had to ask for food from strangers, and every time they would stop to listen, I would have to tell them my story and that I needed help. Until one day, some man came up to me and connected to me to the FBI. These officers were willing to help me, so Eddie, the man who contacted the FBI, drove me there where two different detectives were questioning me. I showed them all my notes I had written down in detail from my diary. They then phoned the airline and told me, are you ready to go? I replied with, go where? And they said, to pick up your friends. I then got in the police car and we drove off to Brooklyn to one of the brothels. Some of the police had dressed like homeless men so the traffickers wouldn't get an idea that the FBI was there. The SWAT team was lurking nearby with sniper rifles. One of the police officers dressed as a customer and entered the brothel. I then saw Johnny appear in the doorway. They had a brief discussion and then he was sent away by Johnny. Then very quickly the police had swept the whole building with no shots fired. I could see many women there, and when I saw all the women leaving the building naked, all except just their towels wrapped around them, it was one of the best feelings I've ever felt in my life. Having my daughter was a miracle, but it does not compare to the emotions that I felt when all my friends had gained their freedom again. All the girls were dancing and screaming with joy as we left in the flashing blue and red light police cars. I had never felt such freedom before. Johnny was later charged and eventually convicted, as well as two other men. I knew it would take a while for me to heal. A few years after my escape, I began to have severe pain in my joints. I developed many skin problems and found that I was suffering from terrible migraines. I was free, but I never felt free. I had to go to so many therapy sessions that just kept reminding me of my issues. It was often a struggle for me to encounter men in large groups of people. I get many flashbacks and the smell of whiskey reminds me of all the memories and many normal tasks were hard for me to partake in nowadays. Chapter seven, my mission. I was planning to come to the US to start a new career in the hotel industry. Instead, I ended up forced into prostitution and sexual slavery. I was forced to take drugs and partake in lots of violence. After my experiences, I decided to do anything and everything I can to help other victims of trafficking. I started my own organization, Mentari, which will help survivors get back on their feet as well as get a job for them on the market. I have spoken on my experiences in church halls, universities, schools, and government institutions. I work with many community groups and to this day I have dedicated my work to gaining justice for these women who are faced with the experiences of sex trafficking. I believe that we urgently need to educate all Americans about this subject. It's weird to think that the majority of these casino and hotel workers know what's going on, but they don't do anything. And if all these brothels were just in normal residential areas, how come the neighbors were so blind to what was going on? They would have had to have seen men coming in and out of these houses both day and night. A change needs to happen soon, and I believe that education on this subject is one of the main factors of helping to solve it. I am so proud of myself and what I have done. 
I have done so many things to spread awareness for this issue and to share my story. I'm honored to say that as of December of 2015, I was asked to join a new advisory council. We met for the first time in January at the White House. I have shared my story with many, and I believe that this world can change. We just all need to try. Thanks for listening to the IFT podcast, where we make efforts to inform people on issues faced today. It's an honor to speak on such a strong woman's story and be able to share it with you all. I hope many of you have learned new things about trafficking and can teach others about the issue. Sign some petitions, create a club, do all that you can to help these people, because we all need to work together as a society to get things done.